Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. I'm Caroline Paralini, The Vine Kids Associate Director, and our scripture reading for today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 and 16 through 18. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. Who is the Spirit? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Church family, I'm excited about this sermon series because I think uh, everything begins with what we think of when we think of the gospel. It all comes down to that. You know, there are certain terms or words that have different meanings to different people. I remember some years back, the, the word that I saw just explode was the word gourmet. All of a sudden, every food was considered gourmet. I remember especially this became uh, really shocking when uh, I went to a gas station and I saw gourmet hot dogs. How, how gourmet does that look? But then the term shifted from gourmet, then it was organic. Then every food was organic. It was, you know, free-range, cage-free non-GMO, macrobiotic, organic. And then you saw that word organic so much, you start realizing that it doesn't really have much meaning to it. That's the problem with some terms and words is that they mean so much to so many people that they end up meaning nothing at all. Now, that's one thing when it comes to food. It's something altogether different when it comes to our shared faith. When it comes to our shared faith, when words and terms lose their meaning. There's something for us to, 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 to consider. There's some work for us to do. And that's especially when it comes to this idea of the gospel. I'm even curious for you, when you hear the word, the gospel, that term, what comes to mind? Like what comes to mind when you hear that term, the gospel? For much of my life, the gospel was a proposition that one person shared with someone else. It was a proposition uh, that this person could help this other person become a Christian. So they would share the gospel. Hopefully the other person would receive the gospel. And that proposition was commonly framed around this idea of that there's death and then there's heaven, and heaven is only given for those who know the gospel and receive the gospel that Jesus died for you and purchased for you uh, an eternal uh, home in heaven. And in that way, the gospel feels very transactional. Like, say this prayer, raise your hand at this moment, uh, say these words, and all of a sudden, you know the gospel, you have the gospel. Now, the problem with that um, is that it's just a thin understanding of the gospel, it's really it's incredibly important for us to know that 
that Jesus, the power of Jesus' cross and the empty tomb and the gift of salvation for those who receive it. I mean, that's really important. But if that is all the gospel is, that one transaction, then we haven't experienced the fullness of the gospel. And that's why we're doing this series. This series really is about for us to explore all the different facets and the nature and the fruit of understanding and experiencing the gospel in our lives. And so today, we're going to begin by exploring that the gospel is transformation. This is what one aspect of the gospel is. Ours is a culture that is fascinated with transformation. Just consider all the reality TV shows that we spend our time watching. They're about transformation usually. So we take a, a dated and dilapidated house, but then Chip and Joanna show up. And by the end of this hour, we see this before and after of this beautiful shiplapped home now. <laughs> and this all happens within this hour, and there's something about it that's really gratifying. Or even the unexpected audience member at a morning, uh, uh, morning talk show who's plucked from obscurity and by the end of that morning talk show is given this beautiful makeover, this unbelievable makeover. By the way, how would you feel if someone came up to you and said, hey, you have a great look for a makeover? Probably not feeling great. But even the movies that we love, even the movies that we, we love and we watch are usually stories about transformation, how these characters go from this one kind of stale, stuck experience and through all these conflicts, they experience this great transformation. How does Dorothy end up having a love for her home? How does Michael Corleone go from someone who wanted to distance himself from his family to becoming the godfather? How does the meek and forgettable high school character end up becoming the Walter White that we see at the end of Breaking Bad? How does a fuzzy-footed little Frodo end up being the hero and saving the world? Well, it's simple. People can change. We love stories of transformation, and I think it's because we long to believe that we can change. Like, as people, that we're not just stuck. That the way I am now isn't the way I'll always have to be. This is something that I feel like what, this is what drives us to the, uh, the love of transformation. But I'm curious if you were to check in with yourself, do you feel like you can change? Especially those areas of your life where you feel like you're being held back, that you're stuck. Maybe the strongholds in your life that are holding you back from experiencing the fullness of life. How hopeful are you that you could be made new? Well, I have some good news. And the good news is this, that God has the ability and the desire to transform you. We do not have to wait to get to heaven to be made new. We do not have to wait to heaven to be transformed. There is transforming, renewing power in Jesus that is made present here and now. Even the, if you think about it, the entire Bible seems to be one story about how God can transform people over and over again. These are stories about how people were usually stuck in, in a place or in a state of experience, but then God shows up and transforms their life and their reality. Even in the Gospels, we find Matthew. When we find Matthew at first, he's a despicable tax collector. 
But then Jesus shows up and grace takes over his life and he becomes a follower of Jesus. The Mary Magdalene, when we first encounter her, she is this woman who is possessed by seven evil spirits and and then the love and the grace of God unravels her and she becomes not only a follower of Jesus but an apostle to the apostles. She's the one that sees Jesus resurrected first and tells everyone about it. Or even Paul. When we first meet Paul, his name is Saul. He's an enemy to the church. He's persecuting the church. But then he has this encounter with God. He has a meeting with Jesus and has this great transformation where he becomes one of the most important figures in Christian history. Now, the gospel we see here, the gospel is not merely a transaction. The gospel is transformation. The gospel is more than access to heaven. The gospel is how God can make us new and show us the fullest of life here and now. Now, this is beautifully depicted in in Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. Paul knew what it was like to experience transformation, as uh, we just talked about Uh, And he wants this community to imagine that power released in their lives. So the big question is, how do we change? And we start here in verse 16. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So transformation begins when we encounter Jesus, and Jesus removes the veil. It's taken away. I find it interesting in, in Scripture, transformation is almost 100% found with the verb in passive tense. Transformation is something that happens to you. You're a recipient of it. You don't foster transformation. You don't make it. You don't create it. It's something that happens when we encounter God. We are transformed. There is a power and an influence that makes us different. It changes us. It transforms us. That we have a role to play I think it goes without saying, but thinking that that transformation is not earned, produced, or fabricated is even more equally certain. We are transformed by the work of Jesus in our life. But we should notice this. But when anyone is turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So that is our role. Our role is... Um, this prodigal child's response when they come to their senses and they realize that they've been running the wrong direction, they come to their, their senses and they turn. They turn to the Lord. In that story, they turn to the Father and realize that the Father was waiting and watching the whole time. Transformation is released when we turn. We turn to the most powerful, undeniable love and grace of God. So for those here now, for those who are feeling stuck right now, I just want to ask, where in your life might you need to turn back towards God? Like where in your life do you feel like maybe you were pointing the wrong direction, you're running the wrong direction, and maybe the grace and the mercy of God is just waiting for you to turn, to turn and face love and mercy and acceptance, because there is transforming power when we do that. And I love Paul's imagery here, that of the way in which he's depicting transformation. It's the work of unveiling. The gospel is not just a tweak of our personality. It's not just a just an altercation of our character, like making us a slightly nicer version of us. <laughs> the, the work of God is not a, a 
a tweaked version of us. It's an unveiled version of us. It's the unveiled version of you. That's what Jesus wants to do. Jesus wants to peel back every veil that covers who you truly are. That is the gospel. Because too often we are veiled people. We can be veiled by fear. We can be veiled by this sheen of success or morality. We can be veiled by all the different ways in which we've learned to navigate this world to feel safe. We can be veiled by shame. We can be veiled by our carefully curated and crafted images that we portray in this world. And the work of Jesus is to peel back all of those veils so that our true selves can be released. This is why the unveiling is about being set free because every covering and every mask and every portrait that we, that we put out there are veils. And the work of God wants to pull all those back so that when we are left with nothing but who we truly are, the bare, naked, honest version of this, and we place ourselves before God, we realize that that's enough. That true version of us is enough to be accepted and loved by God. It's almost as if God's grace sometimes withholds the fullness of delight so that we can wait until we have nothing to offer. And then God goes, that's exactly how I want you. Because not for one second do I want you to feel like you're earning transformation or earning love or grace or mercy. It is given to those who have enough courage to be unveiled before God. So much of the work of transformation, I think, is the uncovering. It's undoing. It's unraveling. Perhaps this is why Paul in verse 17 says, Now where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Because this is a work about being set free. We are free to stand as our whole, true, and authentic self. This actually makes me think of the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was one of the most respected and regarded religious leaders of Jesus' day. But he had this nagging sense that something wasn't right, something wasn't full. And so he came to Jesus in the middle of the night. He was veiled by that darkness, but I think he was also veiled by his standing his power, his, uh, his uh, morality. And Jesus, when he comes to Jesus and says, what, what must I do? Jesus says, you're going to have to be born again. In other ways, you're going to have to take off all, that, all those veils that you have relied on, and you're going to have to start all over. This is how the transformation works in our life. Once God has peeled back that veil, once we have turned to God's grace and mercy, transformation can begin. Verse 18, we find this. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. That word for me that I've been thinking about this week more than anything else is the word contemplate. That word also means to reflect. Some of your scripture, if you're reading this right now, it says that we, uh, with unveiled faces, are reflecting the Lord's glory. That word, it literally means to, to look or gaze like a mirror. It means to, to consider, to contemplate. It means to reflect like you're looking at a mirror. And uh, for me, this passage is so 
perfect. It's so beautiful in how it's talking about how transformation takes place. It's because once our veils have been removed, we then can, can contemplate Jesus. We can contemplate the glory of God, which is Jesus. And so now without any veils, now we face Jesus and we now behold. We behold God's nearness. We contemplate and reflect on God's goodness and mercy. And slowly, almost imperceptibly, we begin to reflect Jesus more and more. I think that Paul's words here are beautiful and powerful because people, we are mirrors. I've been really influenced by a book by an 18th century Scottish uh, uh, author and evangelist by the name of Henry Drummond. He wrote a book called A Changed Life, which is super short, which is my favorite kind of book. And, uh, but it's a, it's a wonderful read. In it, he was, he was reflecting on this passage here uh, in the Second Corinthians path, passage while he was on a train. And uh, while he was thinking about the, these verses, he met someone. So from being from Scotland, he met this man. And in the first sentence, he realized this man was from England. The very first sentence he said. And he thought about how even his voice reflected his birthplace, his parents, that culture in which he grew up in, and that long history that made that culture. Now, in the second sentence, uh, he reflected and revealed his profession as, he, as they were talking. The third sentence, he reflected his political persuasion by his reverence to a specific news source. Mind you, this was 300 years ago. And as they discussed, Drummond began to think about as people, we like almost without even choosing, we reflect so much of our life, just without even, just effortlessly, we just reflect it. And he was thinking about how this man's whole world was being reflected to him, uh, his influences, his background, his ideology. And don't you know, all while Drummond was putting this guy in a box, don't you know that he was doing the same to him, this Englishman was doing the same to him. People, we are mirrors. We reflect that which we gaze upon. But there's a deeper truth. Not only do we reflect that which we gaze upon, but we are also formed by that. We're formed by whatever we behold. Whatever we give our attention to, our affection, our loves, that is the thing that uh, forms us, it transforms us. So for those people who've been around church, you might have heard this phrase that we use sometimes called spiritual formation. Um, so that term is most commonly used to describe practices like religious practices like prayer or fasting or worship or reading the Bible. Um, and so we, that, when we think about spiritual formation, we think of, okay, so it's when we do those things, it's in that time. But that's actually not fully honest. It's not accurate. Because we do not get to choose when we open and shut our souls from our, the influence of our surroundings. What is more true is that all of life is spiritual formation. Everything that we're doing, our environments, 100% of the time, are helping form our souls. Uh, so we, whatever is before us, whatever we're beholding is forming our spirit, is forming our souls. So whatever we consume, from social media to the news cycle to whatever is in your Netflix account, is forming your souls how we handle our finances, how we treat others, our family, how, what do we do with our fears, those are deeply forming us. 
In the same way that a mirror does not get to choose when it's a mirror, so it is with your soul. Now, the question is not what, what, what are my spiritual practices are, but the question is, what am I placing before my soul? What is the object of my devotion? What is the object of my love and my attention? What am I contemplating? Where is my mind going throughout the day? Whatever that is, whatever that thing is you are contemplating, whatever thing you're reflecting upon, that is the thing that is forming your soul, the deepest part of you, the part that's not seen by anyone else, but it is. it drives and it, it fuels everything that we are and everything we do. And what Paul is saying here is that to follow Jesus means a life whereby we learn to behold Jesus. We set our gaze upon Christ. We behold and reflect the one who we just saw in verses before has promised to set us free. Christ has unveiled our faces so that we can, without any barrier, we can behold Jesus, that we can be uh, ever so slowly transformed by God's presence in our life. And this takes time. That kind of transformation goes counterintuitive to the ways of our world, our obsession with efficiency and productivity. This is not what we're talking about here. Some of the most beautiful and great things grow noiselessly. And so in Paul's words, what we're finding here in this principle is that we can transform from glory to glory. We can transform slowly by beholding Jesus. I believe this is one of our greatest callings in life as a follower of Jesus is to behold Jesus. But I'm afraid that oftentimes we take the gospel and we make it into a calling to go and to do to work out your salvation. And there's this pressure that we put on people, and pressure that oftentimes preachers put on people to go and imitate Jesus. Wherever you are, go and imitate Jesus. But that doesn't feel like good news. <laughs> it doesn't feel like the gospel because imitation is based in duty, but reflection is based on proximity. It's based in relationship. If our greater calling is not to, to imitate Jesus, but if our greater calling is to reflect Jesus, we can only do that if we are walking in proximity with Jesus. Wherever we go, that we are walking with and with and for Jesus. That is our only hope, in nearness to him, in relationship with him. Imitation feels like an act of straining, but reflection is simply organic. It happens it's like this effortless byproduct of a life with God. And the fundamental question for you and I is, are we beholding Jesus? Are we spending our days making sure that our attention, our affection, and our devotion is given towards contemplating a life with Jesus? Beholding him in our thoughts and our attention beholding him and how we actually care for other people, how we love and serve others. I believe one of the greatest markers for a life with Jesus, for someone who's truly walked with God for a long period of time, is not a certain percentage of the Bible that's been memorized or certain roles that people play in leadership in church. I think a greater marker for someone who has truly walked with Jesus is how often do your thoughts return to Christ? Throughout your day, how often... Are you returning to this? Uh, even Drummond, he talked about the, making Jesus your most constant companion. Because this is the goal. This is the promise. 
is what we find here is that when we do that, we change. We change, and it's not only like we become like, like Christ, we actually change, we become more alive. We become more unveiled of who I'm actually uniquely called to be. It's, I love how Eugene Peterson transcribed this verse, as we find in the, in, in the message version. And so we are transfigured or transformed, much like the Messiah, much like Jesus. Our lives are gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives, and we become like him. That is the goal. That is the gospel, that as God enters our lives more and more, we shine brighter, we shine more beautiful, and we actually become more like Christ. That's the astonishing promise of this type of transformation, is that we not only become our truer self, the unveiled self, but we also reflect Jesus to the world. So I'm just curious, as you look at this mirror here, can, is, the, is the mirror in the shot? All right. So as I, even if I turn around this mirror, what do you see? Well, you probably see the camera. You might see the bookshelves over there or our stream team over there and their masks. Uh, what do you see? What's interesting to me is when we look at mirrors, we notice what they reflect, and we almost forget that we know we're looking at a mirror. That is part of the call for us as we experience and reflect Jesus, is not only are we transformed, but we are making Jesus known in this world. We, as we are being transformed, we are reflecting Jesus' power to transform the world. This is why this is not only good news for you and me, but this is good news for the world. We are transformed so that we can reflect this power that Christ has to make all things new. But transformation begins by you turning, by you turning to Jesus. So I just want to just have some little time to create some time for us right now just to turn to Christ. For you in your life, wherever you feel tired, wherever you feel distant from God, perhaps the places in your life where you might even feel stuck. I want to encourage you now just to turn. Turn in a sense of openness uh, to receive mercy and grace from Jesus. The power of the gospel is to make us new. We're in your life. Do you, do you just long for that? Long to be made new. Allow God to graciously remove all of the veils that you have in your life. The veils of, uh, of success, the veils of failure, the veils of regret and shame the striving that you, we, you, we all have in this life. Allow God's grace to, to peel back all of those layers. And now that those layers have been removed, just set your gaze upon the love of God. Set your gaze on the love of God as you see God's mercy and grace face to face.
you might even want to spend a moment just with open hands, just receiving it. And as you reflect on, as you contemplate the love, the mercy, and the grace of Jesus, may we be a community who sees this truly as good news, that God is here wherever God is. There is the power to be made new. May it be so for you, and may it be so for our community.